engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It's Eric Erickson here from TheResurgent.com and WSB Radio out of Atlanta. Welcome. A special podcast edition here. This is going out to those who subscribe to the podcast. It's not going out to listeners of my radio program. I'll reference it there and, and they can come over here and jump off to the podcast if they want to get the information from it. Um, but... I, I, I have been getting emails from people. In fact, a buddy of mine reached out last week. I was planning on doing this, and he was really the the cement for me going on and doing it sooner than I wanted, is everybody really want to know, from your worldview, uh, what's happening? Can you explain it from your worldview, from your eschatology, from your Christian worldview? It seems like the world's gone mad. What the hell is happening? And I've been wanting to do that. And uh, full disclosure here, and I'm doing something dangerous that I probably shouldn't do with a topic like this, but I don't have notes in front of me. I'm just, I'm talking. If I sound a little off, it's because I got my braces in, which are, that, that's another story. But nonetheless, what is happening? It does seem to many people like the world has gone mad. And I think, in fact, the world has gone mad. Uh, and a lot of this, uh, full disclosure for those of you who aren't uh, Christian believers, I, I am a Christian and evangelical Christian. I go to a Reformed church. Um, it is it, Calvinist. It's Presbyterian. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church that was also Reformed, uh, just so you know. And many of you will want to know, are you post-pre-amillennialist? What? I, I, as best I could describe it for you, I'm amillennialist. I don't believe in a, a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. I don't. Um, and that is actually, many of you may be surprised by this who hold firmly to that belief, That, but that's actually not a historic idea within the church. In fact, Augustine actually originally believed that and rejected it later in life, writing that it couldn't be safely taught, uh, nor, nor could it safely be believed. And I tend to agree with that. So let me, for presupposition for this conversation, let me explain to you how I view uh, the millennium referenced in Revelation 20, because that plays into this conversation. Uh, you know, Revelation 20 talks about the final battle between God and his saints. Um, but there's also that uh, the idea that Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years in chains and, and Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night and no one knows when uh, but the Father. All of these things play out together. I side with historic Christianity that the thousand-year period is a, a literary use and not a literal thousand years. And the reason I say that is because um, throughout the Old Testament in particular, um, and Revelation, by the way, is basically an entire repackaging of Isaiah, Jeremiah, the prophets, uh, lots of references there. Uh, John relied on the Old Testament. You've got to know the Old Testament in order to understand John. And the Old Testament used the thousand years or the thousand number uh, most often as metaphor. Uh, the thousand hills, uh, Psalm 5010, um, where the thousand hills, God owns the cattle, they're, they're all hills. Or First Chronicles 16, 15, the thousand generations to which God will be faithful. 
Um, these are not, I don't think, literal thousand years, uh, but to mean for a very long time. And if you want a thousand year period from resurrection to the year thousand, there you go. See, I think that if you want it from an eschatology point, and I realize a, a buddy of mine who's a pastor says, you know, you're not really supposed to talk about this stuff in public. People think you're crazy. It's just us here talking. At some point, Satan's let out of the cage. The binding, uh, I think most historic Christian scholars would say, uh, refers to Satan's fall. At, uh, he he can cause trouble, but he's mostly bound. His his full power is bound. At some point, he God allows him to become unbound. And you know, I I just got to tell you, and again, I really it's just us kids here talking. But as I was in this conversation with my friend, I said, have you noticed that maybe there's not an uptick in it, but suddenly there are vastly many more reports of earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanoes, natural disasters than we've had in the past. And it probably is media coverage that now because of a global 24-7 media, we hear about these things more than we used to. They may have been going on. I said, it just it keeps making me come back to the birth pangs of, of the end times. And he looks at me and he just nodded and he smiled. He said, but you're not supposed to say that. So we're not supposed to say that. So we'll move forward with me having seeded that thought in your head. See, I view the world as on the glide path to Sodom and Gomorrah, where for the church, I believe things are going to continue to get worse. And what we're going to see is more and more people within the church leave the church, not even realizing they're leaving the church. They're going to adopt the ways of the world to fight the world, but in embracing the worldly ways to fight the world, they never had their salvation to begin with, or they, they lost it, if you believe it that way. Which is why I think it's more and more incumbent of Christians to return to first things, and why it's more and more incumbent upon Christians to... Uh, realize that their ways are not the world's ways. God's ways are not our ways. Our ways are not the world's ways. And we as a people of faith have to remember that. Uh, the, the behavior uh, in politics these days, I, I think, is something that we have to be mindful of. People, including a lot of Christians, are really in their rhetoric. They're looking for a personal savior in a sinful human. And that is problematic. Uh, Pope Benedict, uh, Joseph Ratzinger has a, a great quote from the 1995 Catholic church catechism. And I, I want to read you this because it's relevant to this point. Uh, the antichrist deception already begins to take shape in the world. Every time the claim is made to realize within history that messianic hope, which can only be realized beyond history, through the eschatological judgment. The church has rejected even modified forms of this falsification of the kingdom to come under the name of millennialism, especially the intrinsically perverse political form of a secular messianism. Now, what he means by that is there are those within Christianity who believe that we are to take it upon ourselves as sinners to impose 
the Christ-like ideal on earth uh, as part of a post-millennium. There are people who believe we actually are beyond the millennium and it is going to get better and we are to do it. And I don't think there's a biblical basis for that. He was rejecting it from the perspective of the Catholic Church. But this is the, the Antichrist deception is that we, a sinful people, can impose the messianic hope here and now, though it is a hope that biblically only exists after the last day, after judgment. We, we can't have heaven on earth today while there's still sin. We, we have to have the final fight. And I really believe what we're seeing is, is essentially the, the beginning stages of that. More and more people are losing their mind the politicization of everything while there are dangers out there, including radical Islam approaching, everyone is distracted by it. The church is beginning to fade in the West. Many of the prominent voices in the church have just given up. They, they want the comfort now. They want to be comfortable now. They believe they've earned it. They're giving it up. If you were a Christian in the world today, you're not going to have a comfortable life. You're not going to get the most money. You know, Psalm 73. In fact, let me pull up Psalm 73 because it's very relevant to this discussion. Um, and it is actually, truth be known, it is my favorite psalm. It is one I have preached on in the past. And I, I very much think that we should dwell on it here. This is Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet have almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues stretch through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned therein. Truly, you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked and hard, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You shall put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Now, Esau, Saf here. 
here's his situation. He's looking out at the worldly people. The people who Jesus says in, in the gospel uh, are of the world, and the world hates the things of God. He's looking out at those people who th- hate the things of God, and he's thinking, uh, they've got it really good here. Their pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their heart overflows with follies. They scoff and speak malice loftily. They threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts the earth. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. And he's thinking, what is going on here? The the bad people, it looks like they're being successful. It looks like the bad people are getting ahead. The more you hate God, the more you reject God, the better you're doing. That's what Asaph is saying. And the same holds true today. You look at the people who get the best. Uh, Cecile Richards of Planned Parenthood who is professionalizes the killing of children. She is treated as a celebrity, a media darling on the world stage. Barack Obama, who I still believe wasn't, he's never a closet of Muslim, he's a secular atheist, he only did that Jesus talk to get elected. He's a, a darling of everyone. Hollywood celebrities who reject God. Or, even better, the preachers out there, the, the Episcopalian priests and whatnot who write the pop culture books, the Rob Bells of the world, they get TV shows to spread a false gospel, the Joel Osteens of the world who are out there peddling a prosperity gospel that has nothing to do with the real gospel. They have massive churches, private jets, huge homes. We are envious of them if we are people of faith wondering, God, they're doing it all wrong and they're thriving. That's exactly what Asaph is doing and saying in Psalm 73. But when he goes into the sanctuary of God, when he prays about this, what does he conclude? Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. But, he says, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to anyone who is unfaithful to you. What Asaph is saying here is he finally realized Those people, this is the best they will ever have it in eternity. God is giving them a little piece of heaven on earth. And then he's going to take it all away from them. And while you and I are on this world and we feel persecuted, we feel targeted, we feel beaten, uh, we feel like all of our values are slipping away from us or being taken away from us or being turned against us. We we see people who use our faith and it gives us all a bad name that the world then uses against us, not just them. We wonder what the heck is happening. This is what's happening. This is as good as it's going to get for them. Essentially, God's handing them their own rope and giving them more and more slack in the rope, and at some point, all the slack's going to be taken up, and that's all they're going to have. But as for you and me, however bad you have it today, you're going to have an eternity where every day gets better. So scripturally, there's this. There's no reason to worry about this. Yes, the world looks like it's gone mad. I I am a firm believer. I say this here. I try not to say it often in public, that that we are just, we are on glide path to, to the end. 
Um, you see Christianity leaving now the West, moving into the East. Um, the growing number of, Chi- of Christian Chinese beginning to stabilize there. You see Islam rising in the West. Uh, Islam and secularism together, how can that be? Well, the things of the world hate the things of God. And the things of Islam and the things of the world are the same thing. Islam is of the world. So you can have a secular atheist gay rights activist locking arms with an Islamist to target a Christian because the things of the world hate the things of God. So they will they will eventually fight with each other once they've got us taken care of. It's like the scenes from the Lord of the Rings in the book so well depicted by Peter Jackson in the movies. The orcs and trolls are as nasty and vile to each other as they are to the good people. It's just they only do that to each other when they're not focusing on the good people. The same setup applies here. And we are headed towards a final battle. None of us know when it is. And I think it's going to get a lot worse than it is now. Uh, Christians in the West may never have to worry about what the early church did in the Roman Empire, but I think more and more we'll have to worry. Will we be able to have a job? Will someone like me who on the radio talks about my faith and talks about homosexuality as a sin, will I be able to still keep my job? Will advertisers boycott me? Will people lead boycotts? Will my station fire me? It's a concern. It's one reason I guess I'm in seminary now. I went because people were asking me to preach, and now it may be the only place I can find a job later in life. But the key here is perseverance. You have to persevere. You can't worry. Worrying about tomorrow or today, it's not going to improve it, so don't worry. Put your trust in God. You're his people. This world, it was never meant to give you an easy ride. If you're getting an easy ride, you're probably doing it wrong. A buddy of mine had a seminary professor once who said, if you've never been persecuted, you might not be a Christian. Think about that for a minute. There's you a convicting statement to use the words Christians sometimes use. The world is a maddening place filled with sin. It's one reason I'm a conservative is because I want as few sinners in charge of me as possible. The smaller the government, the more likely I can live my life without sinners in charge of me. But it is going to deteriorate. So what do you do? You got to worry about your family and you got to worry about your kids. See, the world has largely given up on you and wants your kids. The fewer disciples of Christ on the planet towards the end, the better for the world. And so the world is luring your kids in. So you must be willing to talk about these things with your kids. You must be willing to instill in your children a biblical sexual ethic. You must be willing to show your kids that being part of a church and a Christian culture in the world makes you sound and look freakish but it's expected of you. And you must be willing to be a light in the world by being kind to those who would persecute you to turn the other cheek. You've got to do these things. Yelling about it, um, raising up strong men to fight back at the other side, that's not going to get your salvation. I know it feels good sometimes when you have a politician rally to your side and say the blunt things you once said. When, when I say the blunt things, I say sometimes. I get feedback from people saying, I'm glad you said it. But there are times when I think, man, I shouldn't have said that. That, that There's no winsomeness in that. I, it's, it doesn't glorify God when I do that. And rallying to a politician who doesn't glorify God because you think he helps the church is going to hurt you in the long run. It's going to make more people turn off from Christ than turn on to Christ and turn toward you. You can't lose hope, though. That's what I'm saying. 
Yeah, the world is going to be a worse place for you, and you need to prepare your children. You really do need to prepare your children. Uh, if you haven't listened to the podcast I did on your kids and social media, you need to do that. You need to regulate your children. You need to not have your kids delving into pornography. You know, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago that um, the the horrors I, I have of uh, my kid one day discovering pornography, and I was glad that he hadn't, and I was glad he didn't get it, and I was glad to have tools in my house like the Circle um, device from Disney that would prevent it, and people it responded to me, like, oh, well, he's going to do it anyway. Might as well introduce it to him safely. No, you don't want to introduce it. Do you want to introduce your child to poison safely? I mean, that's essentially pornography rots your brain. It poisons your brain. It poisons your relationship with others. It does. And the world says, oh, well, it's, it's just something of the world of pleasure of the world. If done right, you can do it. No, there are plenty of things in this world, if done right, kill you. If by design, kill you. Ruin your relationships. You have got to take a strong hand in raising your child. You cannot be apart from the world. You cannot be apart from culture. But you can take a break from culture. You can invite over your church friends. You can build strong community within your church. You can invite people over for meals. Break bread with them. Find common ground with them. You should do it with people with whom you disagree on politics so that your kids see it's possible to go into the world and find love and respect and be... Okay, but you should really do it with your church friends because they're coming for your kids. And the thing that you really need to do, the thing that you really have to make sure of, the thing that you really have to watch out is that there are those out there who want your kids to think you're a freak. There are those out there who want your kids to think that what you believe is outmoded, outdated, not applicable, does not apply. And they want your kids to think that you are alone. And so surround yourself with like-minded people so that your kids know you're not alone because the time will come when your kids don't want to listen to you, but they will respect like heck your friend who has the same values. And that's what you need to focus on, surrounding your kid with people like that. The world is coming and hostile, folks. You need to be prepared. That's what's going on right now. The world losing its mind turning against the things of God, and it's only going to get worse. Now, events can change things, but I think the event that changes this is the second coming. Uh, what you can do is prepare yourself and understand that you don't have to behave like them, even though there will be resounding temptations to get you to behave in that way. Don't do it. There's no reason. There is no reason for you to behave in the way of the world. There is no reason for you to behave as badly, as disrespectfully. Be kind. Be a Christian. Show the world that our way is not like their way, and our way really stands out in how we're kind to people. You know, the early church, one of the reasons it was hated by Romans was Roman families would discard children at the town dump. If they had too many kids, they'd just toss them at the dump, let them die. The Christians would go and rescue those children. Don't tell me abortion was ever part of the Christian church. The Christian church has long defended the unborn and the infant. And the Christian would take those children and raise them as their own. And Romans were super litigious. It, it was a thing to sue. Um, it, you, you sued each other. And that showed how big and bad you were. And Christians wouldn't sue. And it was those contrasts between Christianity and the Roman culture that Romans really hated because it was just weird to them. It was weird that someone would be that nice. Clearly, there was something wrong with the person. Be that person. 
be the weird kind person in the world. And the world, they're not going to like you for it. But how many more people will you win for Christ in doing it than lose to the world because of it? That should be your calculation to glorify God in all that you do. Don't worry about the madness of the world. Don't worry about it. I realize you, I worry about it too, if I'm honest. I do. I worry about my kids in it. But worrying isn't going to make it better. Jesus will. That's what prayer is for, and it does work. So do that. That's what's happening in the world and what you can do about it. If you have more questions, feel free to shoot me an email, eric, E-R-I-C-K, at theresurgent.com.